are listening to the official podcast of the hardest working culture, the American Allegiance Podcast. This show was formed to give you what our education system fails you, real life lessons that we have experienced and battled with that you can learn from and apply. There are no ads, no sponsors, no bullshit. All we ask is that if you enjoyed an episode, share it with a hardworking friend. Let's fucking go. What's going on, guys? This is the American Allegiance podcast, home of the hardest working culture. I'm your host for this week, Eric Big B Hines Hines. And remember, we don't have problems. We just have more work to do. This episode this weekend is very special, not just because Nick's gone and I have full reign to do whatever the hell I want, but I've got a great guest on the show with us. Uh, really, this interview has been a long time coming. This is a uh, now a really good friend of mine who I've developed a relationship with over the course of 2020. Um, he's an entrepreneur. Uh, he uh, is bringing valuable insight to Nick and I and our business as we go through the motions. He has a lot of um, value that he could bring to those of you that are starting small businesses and side hustles for yourself that you want to make into main hustles. He brings a really good perspective on the vegan lifestyle that he's been living for many years now. And um, there's a lot of really cool things that um, you guys are going to take a lot away from. So uh, without further ado, uh, I am going to welcome the vegan gangster, <laughs> Shane McKinnon. Hey, Shane. round of applause. <laughs> yeah. That was the best intro I've ever had. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Uh, well, I appreciate you and your wife, Holly, for, for welcoming me in your home this weekend. And it's great because Nick and I make a, made a conscious decision to not do like a long distance, like a Skype or whatever, like interview with our guests. We always want to have an in-person, like face-to-face conversation, which <laughs> now is a rarity, right? Yes. But, um, but nonetheless, man, yeah, thanks for having me here. And it's really good to have you on the show. Yeah, it's absolutely our pleasure. And I will agree with you. We did uh, like a dozen uh, like FaceTime Skype interviews. Mm-hmm. Hey, they were awful. Really? It was just terrible. Like, there's always lag. You don't have the same, like... There's too many variables. Yeah, the vibe. You need that vibe. Well, I need yeah. to make fun of you a little bit, like a couple <laughs> hours before we, before we do this to yeah. you know, make sure we're friends. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, keep us honest and, you know, read each other's body language and stuff like that. I think that's super crucial when having a conversation. But, um, yeah, so to kind of start off with, like, your bio, like, who you are and, and, and kind of give... Um, paint the picture for the audience. Um, let's start with how we met because uh, it was a, probably about like March of last year when we started having like an association through Instagram. That's how we kind of started conversing. And this is actually the first time we've met, admittedly, but it feels like we've been friends for a long time. So. Yes, it was. Uh, yeah, I don't even. Was it only March? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to look back and reflect with everything that's been going on. But, um, yeah, I believe it was about that time. So almost, uh, coming on a year. Yeah. So I'm not sure what the first message was, but my number one impression of you was you told me I should wear women's tights <laughs> and that's how I'll always remember you. And that's funny. Cause I literally don't even remember that until you mentioned this weekend, but, um, no, I think, uh, well, I, a friend of mine or a friend of both of us had, uh, recommended you and your business, which I want to uh, talk about, which is Small Seed Bar. And you and your wife have been um, doing that for about how long now? Um, so, trick question. So, we, we've originally started from a small seed in San Diego in 20, June 2017. Mm-hmm. And then when we moved to North Carolina, we stopped, rebranded, did a whole new LLC, and started over in June of 2018. Okay. So you could say three years, you could say two. Yeah. They're both accurate. Yeah. Yeah. And tell us a little bit about what that entails and what you guys provide as a service. Well, this is always Holly's job. (laughs) I'm not that great of the, uh, the salesman, but essentially 
we believe in wholesome real food ingredients most of it that you can find in your cabinet at home and we take it we add some immense flavor in our opinion it's mm-hmm. immense um for natural foods i would agree um and we we make it into a nice little square we put it in the package for your convenience and boom then you kind of have like a for us it's a meal two bars for me is a meal but for one is one is for holly and basically you have a meal on the go more or less yeah, they're super convenient. Guys are delicious plant-based protein bars. Oh yeah, I forgot to say they're plant-based. Yeah, that's right. That's, <laughs> that's kind of a that's a big piece, right? And it's a big part of the lifestyle that you guys both live as well, right? And both being vegans, and I kind of like to touch about touch on that subject because um, that's definitely something that um, not a lot of people know about. Um, and also some people think they know about, but they don't truly know kind of what the lifestyle really entails. So I think you shedding some light on that would be helpful. In which aspect? Like, like the actual, so I consider like plant paste mm-hmm. is just the, the diet, if you will. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's great. And then veganism is like the actual lifestyle of absolutely embracing all the morals, I suppose. Yeah. So that's good, uh, distinction, that terminology, but um, you know, being a, uh, a vegan, I feel like there's like a lot of, uh, sometimes negative connotations oh, that come yeah. with that, right? Harsh and, stigmas. <laughs> and have you seen that firsthand, um, like in some of the dealings with your business with like some customers or, or anything like that? Um, that is a great question. Not entirely. I think so. I'll take that back. When, in San Diego, absolutely not. Everyone loved it. Mm-hmm. When we came here, because it's the South, it's a little more country and old here fashioned. Here being North Carolina. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there were a few people when you tell them we, when we told them uh, vegan, mm-hmm. they'd have like a weird uh, notion about it, and you mm-hmm. can see it in their face because we used to demo a lot. So then we changed it and called it plant based. So we used to just call ourselves protein bars and then we'd have gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO was our, the front of the label. Sure. Now we say, now we call each other, we call ourselves snack bars mm. and it just says plant-based on it. Um, completely different. Cause that was the other problem we had. It wasn't really vegan so much. It was calling them a protein bar. As soon as we said protein bar, people thought they were going to taste like chalk, cardboard, or like fake sugars. Um, those things that nature or they're like, I don't want to eat too many and get jacked. I'm like, well, I wish it worked that way, guys. Right. Um, yeah. And you and I both know from being in the fitness space for a long time and being in that industry that that's that's pretty true for the most part. I mean, most vegan protein products that are out there are very hard to put down, don't really have a whole lot of flavor. And that's what surprised me the most, you know, putting all the names and the terminology aside when first trying your product, I was I was blown away because shit's actually delicious <laughs> and I'm not just putting that out there on the podcast um, for promotional purposes other than like I actually truly believe that and that's why I've ordered from you again. So um, if you guys want to take this opportunity uh, to check them out on Instagram, it's at small seed bar, correct? Correct. Yeah. And um, guys, now more than ever, just like Nick and I have talked about in previous episodes, we got to support small businesses and we especially have to support small businesses that believe in the right things that believe in our freedom, the constitution and Shane and his wife very much are, are those individuals. That's funny. You're the first person that ever has called me a patriot in my whole life. (laughs) (laughs) Probably because prior to this, I wouldn't have considered myself that, but when you, you posted it on, uh, on social media and I was like, I'm a patriot now. (laughs) It was just, it was very funny, but to me it was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, so if you guys want the uh, the P word pass, just come hit me up <laughs> in my DMs. <laughs> Certified. Um, so I know for you guys, like working hard is kind of your thing. Mm-hmm. Is That's it hard work or work hard? Because um, to me, they're two different things. But I'm curious, like the wording you use. Yeah, and and they are they are two different things. Um, it's it's really hard work. Um, we, uh, you know, pride ourselves on building a culture around that was why we use hardest working culture as a hashtag. And I think the people who are about that life, um, also know that distinction as well. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So everyone who is interested in small seed and you, even if you have tried it, I'll make a, like a one-time code 
hard work and 10% off if you want to try. Oh, that's Just for amazing. you guys for American Allegiance. I love that, man. Listeners. Thank you. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I definitely did not know, know that going in. So that's I'm a great excited. opportunity for you guys to take advantage of that and and support both of us and try out an amazing product in Small Seed Bar. So, um, But yeah, so going back, um, backtracking a little bit, um, you said you were in California for some time, right? Yes. Kind of walk us through like what that was like and what kind of, um, you know, you also partake in, in other businesses prior to starting your own company, right? Correct. So in 2013 is when I met my now wife. Mm-hmm. She transferred to college out there. And about five months later, I followed her. Mm-hmm. And I moved to San Diego. Um, so we were like in actual San Diego, California, which is probably the nicest part of California in the most free area as well. Maybe. Yeah, of California. Using that term loosely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then the beautiful thing about San Diego is it's it's the land of the startups. Like I don't know why companies decide to emerge out of California because the tax rate is so high mm. and uh, um, what's that called? Payroll costs are really high. Right. I forgot. I was thinking of the the lowest rate. I've, I haven't been paid an hourly wage in so long. I forgot the terminology. Yeah, that's perspective. Um, but uh. So it's like, it's like $14 an hour right there is where it starts. I'm like, I don't know how startup companies pay for that <laughs> like or why they would choose to start out of California. But right. So it's land of startups. So there's tons of opportunity and they love East Coasters, which is funny. Um, we're like gold to them. So as soon as they find out, I'm from Massachusetts originally. As soon as they find out you're from, especially the Northeast, uh, just because all we do for like eight months out of the year is work. So all it is is cold up there. Mm-hmm. Um, they instantly want you and will hire you. Uh, so I did, wow. I did security for a little while and then I started a startup company and it was a great opportunity. It was a meal delivery service and I started in, I like to say March and by May we had like our first big event. We used to crop, we used to partner with CrossFit. So we did CrossFit regionals. Oh wow. Okay. Um, in 2017, just to fast forward, we did CrossFit. No, 2017. Yeah. In 2017 we did CrossFit games. Wow. That was awful. Great, great opportunity, but like CrossFit's a terrible brand to work with. Um, Super stingy. No offense to the CrossFitters. Not you guys, just CrossFit brand. Got it. Um, I mean, every business is like that. Like, which are they? Is that owned by Reebok now, or like, what's the ties with? Are they just? uh, They were a sponsor, so they partnered together. Them and Rogue, but I think that actually all was diminished uh, when Glassman called COVID nineteen, Floyd nineteen. Or called George, George, is his name George Floyd? Yeah. Yeah, when they, he tweeted when George Floyd died, Floyd 19, basically saying oh, it's, Lord, a, it's yeah. a pandemic. And then, so the death of CrossFit, that was the nail in the coffin. So now all the CrossFit boxes, not all of them, but the majority have rebranded. They don't call themselves CrossFit anymore. The oh, CrossFit wow. stocks plummeted. Reebok pulled out. Rogue pulled out. I did not um, know that. Yeah. That's incredible. That was last year. Wow. Obviously. That probably happened like sometime in the spring then. Yeah, whenever George Floyd died. Yeah, so wow, unbelievable. May, May, April, I don't yeah, know, yeah. not sure exactly, but yeah. So CrossFit, as we know, it will be gone. Um, they all turned, most of them turned to strength gyms, which is kind of nice for those boxes. Sorry, I'll get back to the, my story. No, this is great. This is a good. It's nice for those boxes tangent. because um, you have to pay a, a five thousand dollar fee just to a year annual fee just to call yourself CrossFit, which is a, that's a that's a big like most people who start boxes. It's like a side project. It's like what mm-hmm. they want, but they want to use the term CrossFit. And Glassman was so smart that when he TM'd it, like, you literally can't use the word CrossFit. And you can't even call your training inside your gym CrossFit training. Mm. Um, that's why it's, like, functional fitness. So like, when you go to normal gyms, yeah. you call CrossFit, lawsuit. They instantly sue you. Um, but business-wise, he's a genius. As a person, maybe not the best person. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, so my company did that. But most of our stuff was we shipped meals nationwide to people's homes. Um, so in May we had our first, I had my first opportunity to like show up, if you will. Um, I just signed, I signed on as their shipping and receiving manager. I was getting paid like $8 an hour. I was basically a glorified, (laughs) what I do now, I build boxes and I build labels and I make sure every order goes out and we have all the supplies to ship in. Okay. Um, which I still do now. It's kind of funny. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do 400 labels tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so we had the big opportunity. It was like, you know, uh, usually CrossFit regionals is we do a week. We do Wednesday through, I want to say Sunday. 
is like when we feed the staff and feed the people there. We had like a booth. Okay. So we get paid to feed the staff and all the athletes. And then we have a booth that would feed like the, I don't forget what they're called. I gotcha. Um, what are they called? Consumers? Yeah. Like all, the, all the people watching. The attendees. Yeah. Um, the viewers. The viewers. <laughs> the fans. The fans. Yep, exactly. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's a pretty big contract. And I was the first one to show up every day. And I literally manned the booth. I didn't eat. I didn't go to the bathroom. I like manned our booth from the moment we opened it until we literally closed up the truck. And the owner came down the second day and he was just like so impressed. I like always smiled because like it's customer service. You have to. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, I remember his comment. He was like, I'll be surprised if you even eat because I didn't. Because I was like, we were, like, we were moving go, go, so go. fast, yeah. you know, pumping out. my So my booth, I ran the booth where... Um, we tendered the money and fed the viewers. There was another booth that fed the athletes, and there was another booth that fed um, the workers. Right. Which, in so, comparison of all three of those groups, you probably had the hardest job. Yeah, because of the tendering of the money, and there's a line, and it's during like you got an intermission, you yeah. move real fast. Yeah. Um, so he was just really impressed. And by the end of it, he was like, I'm going to do so much more with you. Just mm-hmm. because I worked probably better than everybody else i yeah, would say i mean sure. it's a small company so there was only like 10 other at 10 other employees and i think you know when it's that small it's really easy to get yeah. to the top um so we came back and then june we signed a contract with amazon we were the one of the first companies to do amazon fresh awful another awful experience <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was great to learn um so he told me um I had to go get food manager certified, and if I passed, he'd pay for it. So I paid for it first, and then he reimbursed me. And then he handed me the Amazon project. So, like, they have a bunch of their own regulations that we didn't really function by. Like, I had to learn how to do barcodes. Oh, wow. Um, and then, like, remote refrigerator temps versus, like, it had to always be monitored because they, they needed, like, 24-7. Mm. Um, also, it taught me how to, like, turn food really fast because our, our other business models, we basically made food from Back then, we only did about 160 meals, 160 meal plans, so 1,600 meals a week. And we made it from Friday to Tuesday and shipped it all out Wednesday. Amazon Fresh was every single day. So wow. we get our orders by 10 a.m. Then you, some of it was like fish and some other products. I had to go get them, come back. We had to create it, have it cooled down, packaged, and in a box and ready to go by 2 when they come pick it up. So it taught me like move really really fast. Holy shit! Obviously that contract didn't last long because <laughs> there's a lot more waste. Mm-hmm. Um, so the profit margins are really low. Yep. Um, and then at the same exact time, uh, he had a he had his first child, and him and his wife sorry him and his wife owned the company together. But I didn't really his wife name was Sarah. I didn't really see her that much, so I never really referenced her in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But they both were 50-50 owners. Great. Um, but you know when I signed on, she was seven months pregnant. Right. So I didn't really know her for sure. Um, so they had their first daughter. Her birthday was mid June, um, and he was just never around. Um, so the natural flow there was a food manager, and then there was me, and he like gave me all the responsibility of the business aspect while the food wow. manager, he was basically like the head chef, yeah. himself, but he was a food manager in this aspect, did all the food, did all the ordering for food and made sure all the food was cooked. And then like, I think it just, I don't know if it was ever planned. It just naturally came to me and I took on all of the front of the house stuff. Wow. So in a restaurant, even though that's not what we were, front of the house is like all the serving, um, all the products, all the utensils, basically all you need. And then the back of the house is all the food. Okay. Um, and then, so we're handling that, like the, the head chef's name was Jay and him and I were just running everything, um, without the owner around. And then I'm just trying to get a little timeline. I think August, our customer service person quit completely just left. (laughs) Um, but it's a startup company. So I'm sure there was reasons that they left. Sure. You know, um, but I'm just, I'm only laughing just because you're already in a situation <laughs> where the owner's not around and you're having to step up to the plate and now that happens, right? right? Yeah. So she, she left and Pete came in, we hired a temp, they completely tanked because mm-hmm. our customer service person is also, they, they also create all of our orders. So back then we had to create a manual order guide. So every, and, and we had like, we had a lot of like custom meal plans. So every order that came in, this person basically at Tuesday at 3 a.m., somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m., because we all get there, they have to create 
an order guide for everything we have to ship out on Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, so it's, it's very like, you know, it's kind of like a stressful job, which mm-hmm. I understand why they left. Um, he comes in, he's like panicking, doesn't know what to do. And I was like, I'll do it. Like zero hesitation. I just said it. Let's go. Yeah. I was like, I've never, <laughs> mind you, I kind of missed the phase of smartphones cause I was in prison and then I never owned a laptop my entire life. Never. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so he's like, and I was like, I'll do it. And he looked at me, he was like, yeah. And I was like, let's go. And then, um, that, that was not the words I used. I didn't say that back then, but right. I was also talking to the owner at the time and it was more of like, it wasn't like we weren't cool until later on, like buddy cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've never used Excel and never used Google sheets and it was all made on Excel. Huge so, learning curve. So I started, this was maybe like a Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started doing customer service. After those orders went out, started Thursday, Friday, answering phones, writing things down, taking orders, canceling orders, just like right off the bat. And that's and that's 10 to 6 standard. Like that's when you have to be there doing customer service. Mm. And then Friday, or, nope, Saturday, sorry, when customer service was closed, I went and met with the owner's wife and she taught me Excel. In the afternoon, she showed me everything that they do on Excel to create the order guide. And then that Tuesday, I had to create it. Wow. Um, <laughs> and we did that until I think... I want to say October we hired Caroline. So I did it like for three or three months or so. And then in that time period, I was getting paid hourly still. And it was only like $9 an hour, Mm -hmm. but I was doing 96 hours. So like my paycheck was super high. And then when the owner realized that, he was like, what are you doing? Like working all this time. I'm like, I have to do it. Like we have no other choice. Mm -hmm. And when he realized that he was like, okay, put me on salary, gave me a little extra raise compared to nine dollars an hour sure um salary was probably the worst mistake i ever made in my life mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i know that shit firsthand <laughs> um and then at that point like so like naturally i just started taking over every aspect of the business obviously and then in so that's 20 that caps 2014 2015 comes along we double in business in february um so we go from basically we finished like 1.6 million in 2014 and then the next year we finished at five. But, wow. But in the middle of January, our orders went from 160 to like 350. Like just instantly overnight. So uh, like immense adaption. Huh. Uh, and then the food manager at the time, who was also on salary, was just like not fulfilling the needs of the company of the growth. And, you know, and probably because he was like indignant, like I'm not going to work. 80 hours a week and only get paid for 40. Sure. I'd say, I actually would say, arguably, if you work salary, you should plan on 50. You get paid for 50 hours a week. I think that's like the legal, mm-hmm. the legal way to term it all. But I was like, I was cool doing 100 plus hours and I don't care about more money because this opportunity was amazing. Also, I didn't, I just wasn't even thinking about the money. Like, this was just so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and also being a person from where I came from, the ability to be in this high of a position was I would never, I would have done it for free. Unheard of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, so we're growing, we're growing. And by like, I want to say like April, Holly's friends came to visit us during summer break. So right when summer break hit, maybe May, um, Holly's friends came to visit us. Uh, The head chef just started like really going downhill. And I was like, always even kill. Like I never swore. I was really calm. And like Pete called me one time. I stayed there super late on uh, on a Wednesday because when so back then we had Tuesday we shipped out frozen Wednesday we shipped out fresh and Thursday we did local drop offs at all of our CrossFit boxes. Gotcha. Um, so I stayed super late on Wednesday to finish and Jay's like, "Oh, I'll come in and drop everything off on Thursday." I was like, "Cool." Pete calls me Thursday. That's the owner's name. Pete calls me Thursday morning and he was like, "Hey, the garbage people are are at the kitchen. Can you go open the gate?" I'm like, "Hey, I'm at home." And he was like, well, I need you to go open the gate. So like I was infuriated because he didn't know what's going on. Cause I don't tell people, you know, mm-hmm. he didn't realize that like I stayed late and, and Jay didn't, you know, he always thought that Jay ran all the food and I just ran all the office stuff. Sure. Right. You know, but cause he wasn't on site. Cause you know, mm-hmm. he's got his new daughter and now having a daughter, I appreciate that he was gone so much Yeah. from the business. Like that's a huge step. That's great. Um, but anyway, so he, I go and unlock it and I'm, pissed jay's nowhere to be found like i'm infuriated and then i'm sitting there and like i brought my stuff so i'm like doing work i always did computer work like every second of every day i had a chance i did computer work back then um 
And then Jake shows up to do the orders, and I was like, hey, where were you? And he was like, I don't know, some nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we, what we did is we used to split the orders because the orders are in San Diego County is huge. So we have like Escondido, which is like 45 minutes north. And then we have like downtown, which was like 25 minutes south. So we kind of like split it this way. Um, so he went to go take his orders. I went to take my orders. And then uh, the owner called me. Sorry, this is a really long story. No, this is great. <laughs> dude, I'm loving this. And I, I'm pretty sure everybody is too. Um, the owner called me and I just like, he was like, hey, what's going on? And I just like lose, I'm sure he listened to like the tone of my voice because I've probably never been. And I like completely lose it. And I was like, I'm so mad I wanted to like flip tables over and I never get mm-hmm. mad. Like I just don't, it's not my MO um, anymore. Um, and Pete listened to everything I said and he was like, okay, like finish your orders, like go home, relax. First of all, I'm not going home to relax because I still have business to do until 6 p.m. until the kitchen closes. Um, yeah, but, but uh So I went back because I, I over, like, so it was funny because our kitchen ran, back then it ran Friday to Wednesday, mm-hmm. but then the actual business has to run Monday through Friday because customer service, like our we had one bookkeeper kind of person who worked with us. It was like accounting, bookkeeping, pay, uh, bills payable mm-hmm. kind of kind of person. And then we had customer service, but I, they all had to ask me questions. So I always had to be on site okay. more or less. So I was on site for the kitchen people and the business people. Um. And then the next week, Pete comes in, fires Jay. Like, and then and then tells me, he was like, hey, go thank Jay because it wasn't for him. Like, you would have never had. Like, you wouldn't be where you are. And I'm like, I felt bad because I'm like, I'm the reason he's getting, I, in my mind, I'm like, oh, I'm the person You're who told thinking. Pete yeah. the reason he got fired. I know he got himself fired. I never really, like, I didn't feel that bad, but I'm like, dang, like, this kind of sucks. You know, said goodbye. And the next thing you know, I'm also the kitchen manager. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so, but, I mean, like, it was cool, like, you know, not smart. If I was a business owner, I would never give someone that much control. Rain, yeah. Because if I left everything tanked, like, I would, like, when I'd fly home to Christmas, so I took, I took three days off every year. It was, I just flew home to Massachusetts for three days, and I did, I still did, like, the customer service, because I gave everyone the week off. Right. So I'd still do customer service, not work from Massachusetts. But I was, I was thinking, I'm like, man, if I went down this plane, like, my the company I run would crash. Like they'd have nothing. They don't know anything I do. Wow. Because it's just built on one person. Right. Um, which is pretty dangerous. So that is 2015. I I had front of the house, back of the house, customer service, and then at that point I'm just running. The, I basically do everything because I all the bookkeeping that the bills payable does goes to me. I review it all and make sure everything's kosher. So I basically learned how to run an entire company in two years. Wow. And then when I left, we'll just fast forward. We built, so I built a second location in Atlanta. So we had one location in San Diego. We built the second one in 2016 in Atlanta. I learned how to govern two facilities wow. from like a remote, which was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. They flew me out to Atlanta. I built the team for two weeks. And then I left someone in my position over there. And then we had weekly phone calls, sometimes three times a week. Um, and then I still kept customer service on my end. So like we did all the order guides for both locations. All they had to do was output uh, for the most part, output and pay your bills mm-hmm. and then send me your bill. So I know you're paying them. Um, so I learned how to do that, which that was, that was an interesting task. And then, like I said, we had the CrossFit games, which was, it was a half a million dollar contract, but it was awful. I did seven days straight of 22 hours. I drove from San Diego to LA every day back and forth because our kitchen's in san diego oh my god so we'd make all the food and we'd bring it up and we'd, we'd be able to we rented space to heat up the food up there but we couldn't cook it so it was just that's it insane. was amazing but like the the opportunity was amazing i learned so much and you know i started march 2014 and i left september 21st or 22nd of 2017 and that year we finished at 10 million dollars so i learned how to bring a business from 1 million to 10 million, wow. which is kind of cool. And then starting Small Seed, I learned how to start a business, which is kind of sweet, which I helped, which was, it was really convenient um, just to transition into Small Seed. Mm-hmm. Holly created Small Seed for us, the bars. Um, so it's really hers. It's not, I never like take ownership for the business. I'm not the creator of it. Um, Holly created it. The product was amazing. She would give it to like friends. I gave it to like my kitchen people and even they loved it. And once they, they loved it, I was like, oh, this is a good product. Cause you know, industry people aren't necessarily healthy. 
Um, and her, all of her friends, so Holly used to work for a bunch of startups and, uh, we are currently just to give background. We are currently working on a business plan to open up our own restaurant. Um, and that was like the next plan for Holly and I, so gotcha. during this, she had, she had, uh, she worked for a startup and then she had to go get industry experience. Um, so she started like a hostess and then moved up to a server just to see like what the, so I never worked in serving restaurants. I just worked in food. Like I know how to, I know back of the house perfectly well, but like real front of the house like how to seat how to turn tables right none neither of us knew so mm-hmm. she was going to learn that and then created these bars because we were just so busy all the time obviously i was always busy um and then she recently became busy mm-hmm. oh, she was busy before but it was like it was half college half work so it was a little different um so she created these bars was giving everyone everyone's like these are really amazing you should sell these and then um so that was right before we got married in april and then when we came back she started like she started up um thankfully because i ran a food facility i was able to do all of our health permits from my kitchen so we created the bars in my kitchen oh, that I wow. ran. yeah i filled out all the paperwork for the food permits um and i was a food manager certified so like i certified us and she could just go as a server and sell the bars which is pretty sweet yeah that's great and, like, worked out really nicely um and then we started doing farmers markets back then so that was just to reference how I was able to learn how to like start a company. Mm-hmm. And then we started doing farmer's markets. Um, so farmer's markets are how brands get known in San Diego. Do you want me to turn the light on in here? Uh, <laughs> no, uh, I got it. Yeah. Okay. You, you keep going. Um, farmer's markets are how brands get known. Uh, you start like, there's like three major big ones where everyone goes. And, uh, but you have to start like, they're so like such a niche and everyone knows each other. You have to start in the smaller ones and prove Cause basically it's you, you don't, you can pay by a booth or you pay a percentage of your sales and all the big ones just want a percentage of your sales. So if you're not turning a couple thousand dollars a day or an event, not a day, cause they're mm-hmm. only like six to eight hours, mm-hmm. then they don't really, they're not going to put you in a big one. That's very much how, uh, it's structured in construction mm. where if you want to get your foot in the door with a client and establish in a relationship, they may throw you the bone of an opportunity to bid a smaller job of theirs that they need to get accomplished. And then if you happen to win that, it's your proving ground. And if you finish that one, let's say like a $10 million job, you may end up having $500 million worth of work over the next two, three years, just from having that one solid groundbreaking, like foot in the door, essentially. That's cool. So yeah, that sounds a lot like what you had to deal with, with the farmer's markets. Yeah. I used to do the same thing when I'd hire employees. I gave everyone a two-week cash-only-off-the-books chance to prove themselves. And if you didn't prove yourself in two weeks, I just gave you cash and, you know, see you later. Yeah. I think everyone should have to do that. Yeah, I think it's a great way of approaching things. Yeah, it's a good way to vet people. Mm -hmm. And also they know. Yeah. You know. Right. Um, So we started in, Holly got in one small one, then it turned into three, then it turned into five. And then she got into, like, one of the bigger ones. And at that, so that point she was doing them six days a week. And, um, I was helping her at the nighttime once mm-hmm. and I'm not, I'm more personable now, but back then I was not personable unless I really had to be, but I didn't feel like I had to be with, <laughs> with my wife's company. Right. You know, it was different when I represented somebody else's company. Of course. Um, but, uh, now, now it's like a lot easier for me to do it. Mm-hmm. Like I'm like a swipe switch, but, um, and then she, so back then we used to, hand wrap our packages and just put a little circle label on it like no nutritional label mm-hmm. it looked it looked like i created it in my house um and she got her first wholesale account wow in august it was it was a small franchise gym there was four of them it was like the bougie gym people paid like 200 dollars a month to go there wow they're literally selling our bars for like seven dollars a bar oh that's amazing but back then we we sold them at the farmer's market for like four or five dollars a bar so sure we would sell it to them, I think, for like three ninety nine, um, because in the back then we we're literally buying things in like one pound jars, so like mm-hmm. all of our costs were really high. Yep. Um, excuse me. In comparison to now, what what's it? Give me an idea of what you guys typically do to get prepared for bar wise. Yeah. To get prepared, or, or just like just, food costs. Yeah. So. I'll try to. I'm trying to think of like a great comparison of one that we just recently did. So. Let's say you go to the store and buy a two pound tub of protein. It's mm-hmm. $40. Mm-hmm. You know, once we started once, and we did that for a long time. And then we started buying, if you bought 
basically it's a big jump 20, essentially yeah it's right? like big in- increments but mm-hmm. but then it was like so i bought 25 pounds of time and then i could get it for like 30 dollars for no that's in, that's way incorrect i'll try i'll try to do a better analogy because i know like the i was trying to do like the actual tubs um right now we pay eight dollars a pound on average for the proteins back then we were literally paying like on the 18 side 18 to 20 dollars a pound okay but i have to buy i you know you're you're staying in this guest room right now you open that closet you see all the overflow of our products i have to buy like 800 pounds at a time Mm. to get that price break wow or the same with the oats so like the oats you know when i was buying them in like single bags they're like 75 dollars a bag and I, I bought 2,000 pounds, 2,500 pounds at once, got them down to $40 a pound. Like, okay. But that's huge. That's yeah. like, that's 50% of cost. Yeah, that's so a then big. I take my bars and they were $4, they were $3.50, and I sell them for $3. Mm-hmm. You know, so every time I break it down, I try to like give it back. Um, so, but, but that's why like, that's why usually small companies products cost so much money because they're not hitting the volume. You know, I'm, I'm sure same with like gear with you guys and clothing, you know, when you're only buying a hundred pieces, they're like, oh, it's $15 a shirt versus like if you're buying a thousand pieces, they're instantly they're like, oh, it's $8 a shirt. Yeah, so That's it, huge. It's ex- extremely scalable and it's a huge investment up front and it's a hard decision to make, especially when you're just starting out or even when you're a couple years in because the reality of entrepreneurship is it's, it's going to take many, many years to really even see the green. Right. And um, that's kind of the picture I wanted to paint by asking you those specific questions because when you first started out, like even just from saying how you hand wrapped everything and then slap <laughs> a sticker on it, as right. opposed to now you guys have these beautiful labels with the nutrition facts and everything like that, um, it it takes time. And you guys still probably, I'm sure you and Holly still feel in a lot of senses, like Nick and I, um, we always say like this is essentially like day one for us because we think about all of the lessons learned from the stuff that we went through previously, but it, it kind of is like, well, we still have so much more to improve that I'm not even like focused on where we were before. Right. That it's literally just all forward. Yeah. I never think about the past. Yeah. Almost never. I think about where we are presently and where we want to go and how to get there for the most part. But yeah, the same, like there's unlimited growth. Like there's always a next step to where you can provide something better or get something better or create something better. Mm-hmm. Um, like <laughs> it's funny cause Holly and I are constantly rebranding, which a lot of people I think would say that's bad for a company, but every rebrand we, we do comes with like a more efficient way to perform something, which right. is kind of nice. Um, so yeah, like doing the hand wrap packaging and then we like constantly evolving like what kind of pouches we use and then labels and mm-hmm. fig like going from like actual plate printed to digital it's just even that aspect's amazing but same with the food i've refined our bars like i've done five different recipes since we started to wow. get where they are now yeah and i'm sure i'm gonna do it again sure yeah because i just want them always to be better like i'm always trying to create better macros mm-hmm. um since that's what most people care about but I also like our bars used to melt and they used to like break apart. Right. Um, they, the, the recipe before this one, they never lasted at room temp for 30 days. Now they last at room temp for 30 days. And that was just like, just slight ratio variations. And yeah, you keep up in the ante when yeah. you make those refinements yeah. and just that's that continuous improvement mentality, which is awesome. But the big takeaways from your story about working for your previous company and all the times that you went through in California um is exactly like what nick and i have touched on a couple times just from a high level like mindset and principle perspective is you had to go through these uncomfortable situations um to really know like not only what you want and and do not want to do but also like dude like just the perspective on never touching a laptop and immediately saying, yep, I'm going to immerse myself into learning this and putting in the time and effort. And then now it, I'm sure it's a critical piece of what you and Holly do on a regular basis as well. And if you didn't have that skill set or you were too afraid to make that leap to learn something new, then, you know, you'd be on a completely different path. So I think that's extremely valuable. And that was just one of the takeaways that I got from um, your story there, because 
everybody thinks that, um, you know, just like how we kind of touched on vegan and plant-based and certain terminologies, same thing with entrepreneurship. It gets a certain stigma and a rap from just the word being said right off the bat, Mm. but it's definitely deeper than just the vocabulary um, because it's not, there's no one track way of becoming an entrepreneur. It's really a trial and error thing, very much so in the beginning until you find yourself, you find your vision, you find what you want to chase after and you apply those lessons learned from what you went, you know, when you were in the trenches. Right. And also I think, uh, my, my story, it helped because I had like nothing, like literally came from nothing. So I had no ego and I had nothing to really prove and nothing to really, I mean, I had a lot to prove to myself, but mm-hmm. I meant like everything to prove to you, right. but not to but not to anyone else. Because like in my mind, I'm like, I'm the lowest of low. Everything I get is a gift more or less. And that's why I was willing to pretty much do anything. And even if I failed, it didn't matter because I never done it before. And it's, you know, in my mind, it's okay. Versus I think a lot of people, you know, maybe they go to school or like they graduate college and then they're like, oh, I'm supposed to know this stuff. So when mm-hmm. I take this position, I don't know about, and I don't fulfill it to a hundred percent, which is pretty much impossible. Cause I don't really think there is a hundred percent at all. Like you could have a goal, but it's not really a hundred percent. It's just For a sure. your goal. Yeah. Um, and they fail it. They feel like maybe the other people view them that they're not intelligent, mm-hmm. which is really sad, but, yeah, um, I think most people like have too much of an ego to do it. I think it's also a proactive versus reactive state as well, Mm -hmm. because a lot of people assume that the skill sets that they currently have now is enough for what they want to accomplish in the future. And that's never the case. You constantly have to be um, increasing um, your strengths and also working on your weaknesses. And I think uh, that's also tossed around like in the self-improvement space too is a lot of the big names will tell you that, you know, there, there's a lot of different angles. They tell you, oh, you should only work on your strengths and make them, you know, rock solid, right? But then what about your weaknesses, right? right? And then there's other people that say you should only specifically work on your weaknesses. What's your take on, on that? I mean, do you think that it's kind of a blend of both or, you know, what have you learned in your experience and applied? I would say I'll, I'll reverse that. Uh, if you only work on your weaknesses and not your strengths, your weakness will become your strengths and your strengths will become your weakness. Yes. And then what are you going to do? Just do the reverse and it's going to be this your vicious cycle. cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, then the opposite, if you only work on your strengths, you'll be really, really good at one thing, but that one thing's only going to get you so far. So whatever it is, let's say you're an accountant um, and you're the best accountant, but you don't know how to manage people. You can never, you can only ever work for somebody in that one position and they can never give you a team underneath you cause you can't manage them. So your growth is very limited. Um, so it's, it's both. I actually honestly never look at strengths and weaknesses. Um, I'm not like consciously thinking about it. Sure. I just kind of look at what's necessary and making sure I can do all of it, which is your strength, like in my opinion, it's the well-rounded strength and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't look at something and be like, I'm not good at this. I'm not going to do it. Or I, and I don't look at something of like um, the opposite or I'm not good at something. I have to do it. But it comes <clears> down <throat> to exactly your point, Shane, is it's like the analogy of a one trick pony versus a jack of all trades. Right. Right. Um, I also think a jack of all, like that saying is pretty interesting. Sorry to cut you off. No, you're fine. But the, the saying of jack of all trades Master, master of, none. of none. Yeah, yeah, like you shouldn't you shouldn't do that either, but you shouldn't limit yourself because you can't do it. Right, because when we hear that, we assume that you're just average at everything. Right, as opposed to bringing that needle just that much further in every single category. Exactly. Yeah, I agree with you on That's that. That's a good way to put it. Like you know, if you if you ran a company and your marketing person decided to suck, like just to show my story, if I ran that company, my customer service tanked. If I was a if I was a good business owner, I would have took over customer service because I can. Mm-hmm. I may not be the best person at it, but I'm gonna do it to my the best of my ability, and that'll be enough until I can get somebody who specializes it to come in and do exactly. it. Exactly, and that's exactly what a leader does: is they actually know their weaknesses ahead of time and what people have the strengths of their weaknesses to fill those gaps right. for an organization. Yeah, they surround themselves or a with team. Them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. Um, 
There's another brain fart. It's okay. There's leg day, man. Yeah. That's you. <laughs> the blood's down here. Yeah, that's right. It's still down there. It's going to stay down there for two mm. days until I'm freaking can't even get up from the toilet seat. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. But that's like, so in my opinion, I think I used to tell everyone they should all work for startups. Like, even if it's just like, even if it's something you don't really know if you'll love, but you should just do it to feel the atmosphere because... In a startup, like a true startup, like when you get to a stage when, you know, maybe it's 10, 12, or 15 or less people, mm -hmm. every person matters. Like they all, every one of their roles is so important. You can't Crucial. really lose a piece. Um, but also because of that, you all have a voice, which is amazing. You can persuade an entire company being the lowest person on the totem pole just by observing something and making a small comment to someone who's in charge. And that, to me, that's huge. And then when you see them implement it, because that's kind of like how I view my last, what my rise in the last company. Mm -hmm. I was not really anyone, and I just saw like a different way to do it, and I structured it that way, and it worked so much more efficiently. And then when they adapted it, I was like, oh, like I can actually, it's it solidified the belief in myself subconsciously right. that I can orchestrate, you know, yeah, or or make a make in a like a like be of value, you know, if you if you're a person who works for a startup and you're like, oh, I kind of like. Like you say a phrase and then they use it in a slogan for their marketing and then orders go up 12%. You're like, you know, that was because of you. Mm -hmm. And then, then you believe you can do it and then you'll start rising to the plate. And then confidence is like momentum that keeps rising and rising and rising. Yeah. I, and let me give the contrast to that because you bring up a really good point with having an impressionable um, advice giving culture and, and being able to give feedback and actually impact and make change within the startup. Um, you know, on the flip side, so like when I graduated college and I started with a company um, that was a really large company, they're in pretty much every major city and worldwide. And so they not only have a big footprint, but they have a lot of employees. And it's very easy to become a number. But furthermore, I mean, what does that exactly entail? Um, you don't necessarily have that impact that Shane's talking about when you give advice or suggestions on how to perform certain things or make tweaks or improvements or even innovations, if you will. Whereas with a startup um, and with many entrepreneurs, you know, you also, you always have that mentality of wanting to make those improvements and you're not, um, you know, so high and above that you can't take feedback from a certain position or, you know, an entry level guy or gal that just so happened to be part of the company, you know, that all that stuff becomes valuable and it's treated as such. Even if it doesn't make a direct change in the short term, it will in the long term. Right. And if you and if you work for a person who's not willing to be that receptive, it's not a true startup. They're not a true entrepreneur and you should not strap yourself to that ship. Like jump ship Swim to another one, climb yeah. aboard. Because even if it's just a kink in a good chain, yeah, it's gonna be a really difficult evolution for you to be able to go past, and it may never be the same. Right. Or you know, if you if you if you like literally, so like if I gave I gave pretty much three years of my life to this one company, mm -hmm. and and then you know two years in it just boom imploded because it has a bad leader and we went bankrupt. I'd have nothing. Like. Quite literally nothing. That's a that's a terrible thing to think. You invest all that time and have no return. That's also why I would say jump ship. If you were to give a percentage in your <clears throat> mind of how much working for that startup and in that space has helped you currently with um, Holly's and yours business, what would you say? 100. 100%. 100%. I never, until that, like, you know, I lived, I lived a previous life and I did a lot of things. <laughs> In an alternative way of society um, and I always believed I could do that mm -hmm. but until this owner gave me the reins I never in my life would have ever thought I could own a business or run a business run, I guess run a business and then own a business but literally like what uh, yeah and then and then I'd also give credit to my wife too because she was the one who showed me more or less that I was running that business um, cause I always looked at myself as like an entrepreneur. I always looked at myself as number two. I never wanted to be number one. I always called it my business and my company, my employees, my team, because like, that's how I identified really hard. Um, I just have, I just have like a lot of accountability, I think within myself. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, but 
without without him giving it to me, like giving me the opportunity, he didn't like hand it to me, obviously. Sure. Uh, I would have never known it was possible. I would never knew I was that valuable because I wasn't necessarily shown that or taught that before previously. Yeah, and I think that's big um, as a lesson in itself for our listeners. When an opportunity does present itself, you got to go all in right yeah. then and there because even though you don't know what kind of outcome it's going to hold, it's still an opportunity and you're still going to have a chance to experience something new that you can apply at in some aspect of your life. Maybe it's not work-related. Maybe it translates into something in your personal life. But you don't know until you take that leap of faith, per se. And, you know, that really is the hardest part in itself a lot of times is the start, the initiation. Right. I always tell everyone, action's always the answer. Like, even if it's the wrong action, action is always the answer because then you'll learn from it. Yeah, like, trial and error, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's very true with what we talked about just this last episode, which we kind of broke down the comparison of goals versus dreams, mm. right? And the key to that, really, if we were just kind of simplify it, is the action. Right. Yeah, apply action. It's terrible that people don't. Yeah, it is sad, but it's okay because it keeps us that do know the formula in a minority. <laughs> right, I know. I always find it very funny that people, you know, because entrepreneur, like you were saying, it's like this stigma, but it's like trendy and everyone wants to do it. Yep. But I think it's because they think it's easy. And I'm like, you know, if it didn't take immense pressure to actually build something of quality, mm -hmm. like it wouldn't be this 1% thing. Yeah, and it's like any title really that gets thrown out there that even if it is something that um, is tied to success or positivity or what have you, there's always going to be the fake motherfuckers that associate themselves with that term. And you just got to deal with that in stride. But you have to know, um, even if you're not in that space, who those fake ones are. I mean, there are a lot of people that get scammed on a daily basis from all sorts of folks trying to, to give you the quick sell, the quick plan, <laughs> you know, the magic pill on whatever it is. And you just got to, you got to revert to short term versus long term. Long term always wins in the end. But a lot of the stuff that Shane talked about today um, on this episode has to do with the small details. There was a lot of stuff that he was implementing with his business, within the startup, within his own personal life, um, you know, after making changes that made even greater beneficial impacts later on down the road that he wouldn't see prosper or even really be on his radar um, until it came to fruition. And a lot of that uh, comes from having to put the work in before the belief. Right. What's the, I, I forgot, I forgot what it, there's like a term, but I can't think of it. But basically, faith is acting without knowing, you know, mm -hmm. more or less. Like, that's, I think that would be my cold, hard definition of it. It's like the blind faith. Like, you have to take a step first or you have to jump and, you know, hopefully you fly more or less. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's like, I think if you, if you don't act first, you don't actually believe it. And if you don't believe it, why would it come true? Mm. Yeah, because it, you can really go both ways with, whether you have the belief before or after work, they both work, but it has to be real. You right. can't just say that you believe, but not ever really actually visualize and, and have this idea so solidified in your mind that it's going to come true. Because if you're, if you're really kind of just telling a lie to yourself, you're not going to get anywhere with it. Yeah. But I think the people who, who tell that lie to themselves aren't fully committed. Like, like, they, they may act, but they're doing, like, the 30 40%, maybe even 70 Bare minimum almost, right. yeah. But because they don't truly believe it's going to work, they don't put in that extra 10%, 30%, whatever it is. Which that, it feeds to itself. Absolutely. Because when you put the bare minimum in, you're not going to have any scenario or any reward where it is going to foster continued belief. As opposed to when you put the hard work in, you will see those W's that will continue to give you, uh, for the lack of a better term, the hope that your vision is going to become a reality. Yeah, that's just, in my opinion, just momentum. Yeah, like little wins trickle to big wins. Yeah, and that time. consistency. Yeah, yeah, it's nice.
So you are um, in year, uh, what is it, of small seed right now? Two and a half? Technically two and a half. Yeah, we'll say two and a half. Right. And just to give our listeners perspective, I mean, do you still uh, feel like, um, you know, there's probably another two and a half before you see things like really making a big change or kind of what's your vision and your goals that you and Holly have that you that you care to disclose for like the the next two to five years. Yeah. So you know, given our current climate mm-hmm. economically, sure, that's that is rapidly changing all the time. Um, in twenty nineteen, no, wait, what year is it? Twenty twenty one. So in twenty nineteen, we we're like, oh, you know, get all the get on the local scene, build our DTC. Twenty twenty, the end of twenty nineteen, we we're like, scrap that. We're going to try to do bar velocity. We like started talking to Wegmans. We started talking to Publix and Harris Teeter. Um, and then 2020 came and we had plans to like apply to all these places. Um, we, we did, we were, we applied to Wegmans, Harris and Ingalls, which is another local mm-hmm. chain. Oh yeah. You know it. Cause you yeah, know I'm familiar. Yeah, I live exactly. in the Southeast for a little bit. Yeah. Um, so and Ingalls was actually really excited about our product cause they're also a local that I think they started they either, I don't know if they start here or they're one of their headquarters is here. And they're oh, really, that's cool. Yeah, they were really excited about us um, over in Nashville area. Um, so we're like, sweet, that was going to be our next step for 2020. And then due to how the country reacted to COVID, uh, everything because of the lockdowns got pushed back. So then we had to, like category reviews, they're like, oh, we'll look at it in the summertime. And they're like, all right, contact us in September. September rolled around. They're like, we're not looking at anything right now. We just need to keep adapting and figuring out what we're going to do. You know, because all these stores are with all these new protocols. And like, I'm sure their employees are like operating at like 50% or 25% and stretching thin, whatever. Um, So then we're like, well, we need to flip this. And like when summertime came back around, we're like, all right, direct to consumer. That's our full focus. We started running ads. Never really ran ads before. Um while simultaneously being shadow banned on, on social media. So it was, it was a weird it. blend. Yeah. Like I, just, I went from like 500 constant views to like literally a hundred, like instantly. But I also went real hardcore in June, like calling out everything from like specific names and like talking about microchipping. As soon as I talked about microchipping, my falling went, it plummeted. My views got shadowed. Wow. Even to today it's, it's nuts, but because, and Holly was doing the same thing, but because we use, um however they recognize it from our phones it also shadow bans small seat because it's on the same uh id or whatever our phones oh, are wow. i don't forget what that's called but um oh sim card it's not the sim card it's whatever your ap address oh yeah the so, IP, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. the ip address mm-hmm. sorry i'm not a tech person no you're good <laughs> well, well, yeah. i thought you used laptops all the time yeah <laughs> I, used, I know how to like type <laughs> i know excel, excel yeah. <laughs> i know a couple formulas um but so, and that's how, like, if they extinguish account, they extinguish, like, all of them are with your associated IP address. Oh, so, wow. so every time, like, she would talk about it, I would talk about it, small C would get shadow banned, too. So, we're, like, trying to grow out, but it evened out pretty good. So, 2020 was all about direct-to-consumer and how, like, best we could give it to them. We ran, like, a ton of promotions, um, both, like, actual ads, and also we did a lot of percentage off, like, as much as we could all year just to try to hit our threshold to cover our uh, overhead. Mm-hmm. Uh, which didn't happen often. And then simultaneously we got on this platform where we could try to still reach these like bigger places, knowing we weren't going to get into them, but like start a dialogue, um, which we, we ended up in December, had a phone call with UNFI, which is um, the biggest national food distributor. And they just kind of told us, like, they had this cool upstart program, so it's, like, built for startups. Oh, great. Um, and they just kind of gave us, like, the rundown of some things that we would need and uh, the next steps and, like, an idea of how, if I start, like, if we start right now and had, like, the ultimate optimal results, the first story we would get into wouldn't happen until, like, June or July. Oh, wow. Um, but we also found out that most people want a third-party... Um, it's almost like an inspector but it's not quite that to come like certify how you create your product. Mm-hmm. And like for us, it's the FDA, like us who does ours, like we're, we're licensed and all that stuff and we have insurance, but um, because we use a shared kitchen rental, there's like the shared uh, dish room and where we store our bars, 
like because we don't control them we can never actually get mm. a certification for that so we just found that out so i'm like so and especially with our current climate like we are looking at um if we don't end up moving i'm looking at commercial space now so we can get like our own small suite like essentially all i need is the size of this room to create our product and a three compartment sink and two fridges um and then from then then we get certified and you know if 2021 doesn't blow up 2022 is ideally like the food category would be february and then we could get into the uh, first door like second quarter okay um but until then it'll be like what we did in the originally when we first moved to north carolina we just like i dropped off like 350 places i went everywhere with every single back then we only had five bar flavors or four bar flavors so I went to 350 locations, CrossFit gyms, juice bars, um, coffee shops, cafe, anything, restaurants, like little mini ones, anything that like sold to retail. I dropped off our bars and was like, hey, we're new to North Carolina. Here's our product. And then, so we had like a good wholesale list until it all got diminished mm -hmm. with everything that happened just because so many businesses closed. Yeah, that's so, unfortunate. So sad. Um, so we'll do that. Like that'll be the ideal again. Like. And not just local here, like, because we would ship to, like, other places and other states. Like, we had seven, I think we are in seven states before COVID. Like, California here, Louisiana, Massachusetts, New York. There's a couple other ones. That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's great. Um, but the same focus, grow out the DTC, get sustainable again. So we're not, we're not bleeding. Um, and then look into opening our own location just to create products. Not, it won't be like open to the public or anything. Um, I don't ever really want a storefront. Mm -hmm. Everything will always be online and wholesale um, for this business. Right. And you say that now. <laughs> that could change. It could change. Yeah. It's And the point of that, though, is that you've had all of these hurdles and setbacks that you've had to go through, but you've adjusted and adapted every single time. Right. And you may have, you know, this plan of where you want stuff to you know, to head in that direction, but you may shift down, you know, still in a forward progress path, but maybe completely different than what you originally entailed. Right. So I told all the time, if like, if, if like shipping was started, like if they stopped shipping for whatever reason, mm -hmm. like for like a lockdown or whatever, I was like, I'll create like a local drop off scheme and like everyone who's local wants to order, I'll just drive to the house and drop them off all myself. Yeah. Um, back when we first started here, I used to do a local pickup. So like people could come and pick it up. Oh, that's great. Like, cause technically because we're a manufacturing place, like we can't like house cause of different laws and different permits. So right. like, people can't come in and there can't be like customer interaction. Yeah. But, like they'd come up, they'd call, I'd walk out there, I'd give them their bars, I get to meet them, which is pretty sweet. Yeah. Nick and I do something similar with uh, our orders for American allegiances. All the ones that are local to Hampton roads will personally drop off. Mm. And not only does that, it's a win-win cause it shaves us, saves us on shipping costs. And then they get it sooner and the personal touch because sometimes yeah. it's like Nick's knocking on the door and they're like, hey, thank you so much for the purchase. So I think that's really cool that that is an adjustment that you already have on your mind because I feel like also that's a main reason why a lot of small businesses went under is they never adapted. Right. No pivots. And um, when we saw everything shift from storefront to digital, even for a temporary period of time, um, a lot of places went under because they just never had any presence to begin with, with the scope of technology, which is unheard of in 2019, 2020, yeah, yeah. whatever you want to put. I mean, we're in a technological age, you right. know. But most of the business that have been around, especially restaurants, because they mm -hmm. don't understand like a social media presence even. That's true. Um, they lack significantly in all of that. So they don't even have like their target market to try to pitch to to say like, hey, we're doing delivery. Um but yeah, so all those businesses, especially restaurants, but any business that was around before 2010, which is a lot of the old ones that went under, mm -hmm. they have no idea what they're doing online because they never had to create it. Yeah, and it's certainly a generational advantage of ours being millennials that we understand and have the capacity to be able to make those changes just because of how we were raised and what we were raised around and stuff like that. So it's definitely a really good point. Yeah, I'm actually finding myself pretty fortunate because I was like, I missed the switch into like the digital phase mm -hmm. and then I had to like jump into it. So I feel like I, I, f I feel like where most people probably fell off, it was like the slow transition. And then I think people started, I don't want to say take for granted, but like 
lost touch of like the old aspect of things of like I used to go to GNC and buy products. Mm-hmm. Who goes to GNC anymore and buys products? Right. You know? Right. Um, so then I like I understand the value of both. Like mm-hmm. social like human interaction is amazing. Like I Huge. if I if I like met it's somebody everything. in person and was like and told myself like ten minutes I'm gonna make this person like remember me forever, I could genuinely do it. And that in business is massive. Huge. And, and you don't get that digitally. Like you can, like there's like talking online, you can make something feel real special, but like the actual touching, the memory sensors, like you can only get that in person. Yeah, and the organic growth is the best too because it's a multiplier. Just like when Holly was making the relationships and getting the ends with the farm stands, you know, you just like you said, it was one, then it was three, then it was five. Yeah. It's the same thing with having these conversations in person, building relationships with your customers and your clients, you're going to have that compounding effect in a positive way. Um, and you just got to be genuine about it. You can't, you know, come at it with an approach of, like Shane had mentioned, he really never had money on his mind when he was grinding all those hours out for the CrossFit event and for all those different experiences that he had you know it was about loving the grind and when you get into that space that's when you really start to see all the benefits flourish in the long run yeah just to give people a perspective i did the math one time and i was getting paid four dollars and like 17 cents an hour to to run a company wow (laughs) yeah but like but i never i didn't like back then i didn't care but i was just curious like you know i'm curious as as i grew more and more and more of what i was getting paid at one point I think towards the end, I probably got a little more resentful, and that's one of the reasons I left, but yeah, that's a long story. Holy cow. Well, dude, your story is amazing, and I, I really think a lot of people got a value out of this today. I certainly did. I really appreciate listening to it, even if I heard some of it before. I, usually when I go to visit someone who I know is going to be on the show, or I talk with them before, I'm like hesitant to talk about everything because I <laughs> want it to all be on the show. <laughs> But um, no, thank you so much, man, for sharing um, your experiences, your story, um, your business that you and Holly are running. I I wish you guys the best. And like I said, guys, I'm going to just do housekeeping one more time. Um, Please check out Small Seed Bar on Instagram. Give them your business. Go ahead and use hard work as that promo um, for this episode. And uh, Shane, do you have any final thoughts, any takeaways that you want to give specifically to the listeners on the podcast today? Um, I would just recommend to keep doing what you're doing, which is following the right people that are showing you an alternative way to live and then applying it in your life.